wants to say anything before? Oh, yeah, we started. Okay, happy to have you, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's time for another episode to keep you in the loop. And this time we are kind of guestless, but Christian decided to, to join us to a little bit share more about our investing journey, right? Because, you know, we've all yes. been investing for a little bit of time. And, you know, on a grand scheme of things, there are so many ways how to make money in the market, but also even probably more how to lose money, right? So we would like to share a little bit of our experience, you know, maybe what was working for us over the years, what was not, what are our strategies, right? Because we run our portfolio slightly differently yes. with different parameters. And, you know, all the time, if you are independent investor, right, picking stocks, you have to understand that you are pressing that buy or sell order, right? So, you know, in the end, you are responsible for your decisions and you just have to get the best information you can, right? And that's why we are here. So, yeah, let's get started. Happy to have you guys. How's your day so far? All fresh? Yeah, it's been good. Um, on vacation, been reading a lot of books, zero to one. Um, Peter Till just blows my mind every time. I think him and Christian Agama, I'm not sure if you know Christian Agama, he's the founder of Atai, but uh he he's th those two just blow my mind every time zero to one best book it's worth a million dollars you have to uh you have to honestly read it um I should buy it on, on uh, kindle it's it's so good it, every word is so crisp it's so intelligent he has such a contrarian view that i tend to agree with and uh, he's been very fundamental towards uh my investing philosophy to be honest um so yeah i'm yep. good how are you sam I'm great. I'm re again reassessing my current positions as I'm in the <laughs> middle of my consolidation process, right? That I've, people have, that follow me know about. So I have yeah. noticed, um, and follow someone on Twitter, by the way, link will be in the description, but I have noticed you, you, you're very active when it comes to reshuffling, or is this just like a period you're in yeah. now? You, you tend to take cash, take, take, you know, positions out, uh, take some profits, etc. every now and then. What is, what would you describe your, your, portfolio strategy as it's mostly long actually it's just that now it's sort of colliding with the fact that i'm seeing a very very uh you know extreme i would say surge in many stocks and i'm not too comfortable with what's happening right now although i enjoy that obviously when i see many of my positions up 20 to 50 percent that's like very enjoyable but the problem is that I don't think at the current stage we are just out of the, you know, woods yet. I don't mm. think it's sustainable. And so I'm taking this opportunity to take some profits because I'm seeing all those meme stocks flying. And I'm just not too convinced that this is it, that we are out, you know. That's my sorry, problem. Sorry, one, se one second, sorry. Let me just reconnect to the to the booster Wi-Fi. I'll literally be two seconds. Yes, all right. Yes. So, so does it, uh, Sam, does that mean that basically when, you know, the market is being a little bit tougher, volatile, uh, that you are basically, you know, kind of consolidating your, your positions and really sticking with the, with your highest yeah. conviction positions? Sort of. Yeah, I, I do continuously that. Uh, I would say now it's sort of colliding because at the same time, I'm, I'm taking uh, profits from some of the names that I have high convictions in, but they've are flying out of proportions in my view. And then at the same time, I'm continue I'm, I'm still continuing my, you know, multi-month process of consolidating my uh my positions and eliminating uh excess overlaps between them. So I'm trying to at the same time I'm sort of trying to understand what I own better. 
Mm. So I, I detect where the overlaps are. So for example, like yesterday, I, I, if you noticed, I cut Salesforce from my portfolio because I dug deeper into Dynamics 365 that Microsoft already has. And I just, I basically realized that Dynamics 365 is sort of a, an offering that is very comparable to what Salesforce offers already. And when you really combine, or, or, or should I say, compare uh, the key products that Salesforce has, like, you know, even Slack, Tableau, etc. There's a very competitive offering from Microsoft in the same categories that Salesforce already has. Since for me, uh, first of all, I like to consolidate. I think that's that's very well known now. And then second, my conviction in Microsoft is way higher than in Salesforce. So for example, for me, it makes sense to consolidate into Microsoft, right? Because I get similar growth rates from the from the categories that I used to have in, in Salesforce, but inside Microsoft. So theoretically, I still have very similar exposure I used to have, but with fewer holdings under one roof. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's and, like, that makes sense for me. And at this point, you have a little bit under 20 position roughly, right? Yeah, but then I, I, oh, I still am assessing two positions that I'm interested in, and that's Duolingo and Hims and Hers. Hmm. So those I, I'm wondering to... about that specific number of positions, right? Because last time I checked, you have a little, a little under 20 and roughly, you know, three to 5% in each of them. So, you know, kind of relatively balanced portfolio. Uh, can you maybe a little bit explain, uh, are you trying to stay around that specific number or, or why specifically, you know, around 20, why not? Yeah, I'm now why... around 20, but there's like, I have no guide for that really. It just depends on like, I have a key points and key areas that I want to be exposed to in a in a pretty good way, and uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll this latest, yeah, you know, update you gave on your portfolio. But it's actually not latest, really. There's the latest you shared or latest I could find, but you know, just just for the it's it's shared on the common stock in real time, actually. Okay, then let me uh, let me find that that one. Chris, then. Chris really liked your portfolio, Sam. I saw the comments. Yeah, and was that was an honor for me because it's a good compliment. Chris, Chris is very like clever. Him. Yeah, he's really clever. And I do put, I would say, excessive time into balancing and thinking through my portfolio and holdings. How many I, hours? I think I went through a full full circle throughout my journey. I was very hours? concentrated. Yeah. That that oh. yeah, that's the current stage. Okay, so you know, I mean, just just for just for all listeners to understand, at this point, you know, basically in some portfolio, there is Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, AMD, Google, Cloudflare, Shopify, Airbnb, Adobe, ServiceNow, Snowflake, HubSpot, Palantir, Traders, Salesforce, MongoDB, Block, Nvidia, and Datadog. So I would say relatively yeah. heavy in like uh, the tech space, right? Yeah, yeah that's that's my and, circle of competence. That's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, right? So could you expand on that by, by that specific sector? Uh, I grew up with technology and I was always very much inter interested in how it works and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much why. I think that's a space where I have an edge over your average analyst from Wall Street. And I can sort of have a vision for many spaces where Wall Street just doesn't have that, you know, knowledge really. Let me let me just say something. Their, 
yeah. I think that's I think that's really important to hit home because I've been really interested in um, some equities in the genomic space, but I know fundamentally that is not where my my skills lie. So it's so hard for me to really understand the competitive edges of some of these companies, specifically because some of them are really young and, and more speculative. It's so hard for me to understand. Instead, I'd much prefer to stay kind of in the tech scene, in, in, in as you say, the circle of competence, as, as I think Buffett always mentions. Um, so they're the domains that I'm more interested in and I'm much more specialized in, to be totally frank. Uh, but sorry, carry on. Uh, yeah, so on that note, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm very much bullish on the genomic space and, uh, you know, the progress in that area. But I think, yeah, I settled with... Uh, sort of what I call an aggregated exposure that's going to take advantage of that, but not necessarily only that, and it's not as risky. So in that sense, you can think of your SaaS companies that are data related, and those are usually utilized by the companies in that space too. So when the whole space is going to blow up essentially in the usage of data, and that's inevitable at this point, I'm going to indirectly or directly take and take an advantage of that too. So that's how I think about this sort of exposure to the area. And you would be surprised, but many of the big tech companies, although it's not clear uh, directly, but they have a pretty decent exposure to health and uh, bio space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're really, really looking at it from this long-term perspective because yes. obviously you know, lots of those tech companies are also likely going to grow exponentially over years, right? Obviously, that is, is much more prevalent. Uh, so, you know, like, would you consider maybe any, any other sectors, you know, maybe like, you know, let's say uh, completely on the other end, maybe some industrials or let's say retail. Is that anything you consider at any point? No, I don't like to go outside my, my circle. Uh, because that's where I think I excel, and I don't quite frankly need, uh, you know, feel the need to go outside of that. I'm very much uh, comfortable with what I have, because I believe many of those companies are very much broadly used across industries. So I either way get exposure to those. That, that is the thing. Without being, co you know, directly exposed, really, but still that, taking advantage of that. That's that's one thing with tech. Like it converges with basically all domains and industries. Uh, yeah, tech my, is everywhere. It's used exactly. by pretty much everyone. So it's probably the best exposure you can really get from my view. I, I have a question for you. Are you, are you can, for me, 20 positions or so on, or, or around that range is, is fairly high. I personally have a very different philosophy in which, and I don't advocate this for anyone, by the way, it's, it's more risky. Um, the rewards are much higher and you really have to love investigating companies in, in mass detail. Um, so, so I don't advocate this position for anyone, but I, I much prefer having a maximum five to seven companies in my portfolio at one time, in which I believe uh, um, have the potential to be, as Peter Thiel says, zero to one companies, monopolistic by nature. And I really like to understand the technicals behind each company, which is why actually, as I tweeted out the other day, for me, it's really hard to find seven companies in which fit all of those. It's very hard for me. I think Palantir and Tesla are, are examples of those companies in which I believe are zero to one, can have the potential to be monopolistic, um, have huge technical moats in which aren't easily um, replaceable. Are you concerned having 20 positions that you can't keep up? Or do you think you don't have to go into as much detail when it comes to, to each equity? 
I think I'm keeping up with all of them pretty well. And when I'm getting disinterested in either one of them, I'm tr I'm trying to find ways to to cut it and maybe think through like where is the what other companies that I have in my portfolio have similar exposure to to the tailwind as the one I, that I'm trying to sort of get rid of. So, you know, you know that's a part of my process of detecting overlaps. And when they occur and that they are pretty clear to me, like with Salesforce, for example, when I finally, you know, access uh, Dynamics 365 teams and uh, Power Portfolio that Microsoft has properly, I realized that it's extremely similar and the overlap is pretty huge there. So mm -hmm. that's where I cut it. Uh, there's a few other positions that I believe have a pretty significant overlap. For example, I'm thinking of, I'm still thinking through Blog and Shopify. I do believe they are in many ways very similar, although there's like, I'm still thinking through the the future opportunity of Cash App because there's that's where Shopify doesn't have really a comparable product. That's pretty much what is still kind of holding me back from, from you know, uh, maybe cutting it because I'm still thinking through the possibilities in that space. But uh, yeah, I think where we differ is that you are, you know, focusing on a on a company from a very individualic approach. While I went from a way of you know detecting secular tailwinds that I'm interested in and then trying to find companies that are very much exposed to those areas that I'm interested in. So in nature, your approach is different to mine, but then we still can have an, you know, philosophical overlap in some areas. Yeah, That's I totally I agree. I think, I think um, one thing that I've definitely learned uh, since my time investing is uh, you have to be really, really stingy with valuation specifically for my approach. And the reason being is because obviously when it comes to an equity like Palantir in which this far hasn't really exceeded expectations, then it comes to a point in which valuation is everything. And I've been fortunate enough to have um, to basically be breaking even on Palantir now. Um, so luckily enough, I'm not invested at the $40 range in which I would then be a huge bag holder. And maybe if I wanted to liquidate some of the shares. I'm actually do... somehow up on Palantir still. Yeah, if if I mean that's that's what I'm saying. It, it would be a huge issue if I disregarded valuation completely and solely focused on on philosophy. Um, so one one takeaway from from my experience, um, and we'll get to you in a minute, Andre. Too valuation really matters when it comes to this approach. And for me, as I stated, I really want to understand four, five, six, seven as a max companies in which are so called monopolistic. And this is an issue that I've had recently. I need to find a way to collaborate with people regularly which have the, the the exact same philosophy as me because then you can get to seven companies you can kind of rely on each other's knowledge a bit more the issue that i have is is you know it takes me months and months to really come to a conclusion one in the crypto space for example um i'm really interested in this crypto called bsv it's basically the it's basically a Bitcoin is written within the white paper. BTC has become yeah. divorced from the white paper. It's changed drastically, in which I'm very skeptical of. So BSV is, is what I call the true implementation of Bitcoin. And I've been investigating that for months now, probably four or five months, and I still haven't come to a final conclusion. So that is the, the, the major disadvantage of my approach, this, this just huge amount of research that has to go in. And when you do come to a conclusion, you have to come to a conclusion kind of ruthlessly. 
I, I believe in, in really concentrating the portfolio. As I said, it's incredibly risky. And also to note, I, I said this also on, on Twitter the other day, um, indexes are, for me, almost a cash hedge. Um, and because it does take four, five months, six months plus to really come to a conclusion on a company, uh, I use the indexes as some sort of cash hedge. And I think that's actually fair to do so. I do believe in indexes fundamentally um, as a passive source, but for me personally, I much prefer to take a more deterministic view on the future. I want to have, I believe the future can be determined. I believe, believe the future can be predicted. I believe there are major similarities between these major innovative companies like Google, for example, network effects, 10x better technology. Uh, the branding you could argue is, 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 is slightly concerning on, on on Google's front. Similarly with Meta, all of these social platforms, I believe Punter is similar. When it comes to Tesla and their FSD, the FSD learns the network effects are huge, indirect and direct network effects are there. So they're the similarities that I look at uh, when it comes to investing. And as I said previously, Peter Thiel has been pretty fundamental towards shaping that philosophy. And yeah, incredibly risky, but when you win, you win big. And, and that's uh, the, the strange risk profile that I have, but I would by no means recommend it to anyone. I think it's a uh, very individual. Andre, what, what's your style like? Yeah, great, great question. Thanks for kicking the ball in, in my side of the field, because, you know, for me and for, for the also context of our listeners, right, I've been investing since 2017, meaning that, you know, I've already had about five years to kind of, you know, get the, the accumulation rolling in a sense, right? So I'm, I would consider myself like a really long-term investor in a sense, uh, you know, you could think of obviously Warren Buffett as one of the, the goals of investing in the terms of the, the principles, right? The philosophy in terms of, you know, holding for the long time, finding the companies with, with the, the widest mode as possible. However, you know, marrying all these principles to a company that are contemporary, right? You know, definitely more towards the tech and also taking the, the whole portfolio in perspective, right? I think that, you know, for people, it's important when they start investing, right? Get their skin in the game. When you are making a decision for a portfolio as a long-term investor, it you know you're you're in a sense marrying the stock for a long time. As long as your thesis is playing out, the decision you might be making today, uh, you will carry it on for multiple of years, right? So basically, yep. I'm you know uh, adding couple of positions every year in a sense, like uh, my ideal advice for, for someone who is starting picking individual stock would be, you know, during your first year, maybe uh, pick two, three companies, you know, research them, them well, uh, slowly build the position, obviously depending on the price, depending on the level of your conviction, and then, you know, maybe next year, you know, add two more position, maybe DCA into some of your older position. But that way you are, you know, like really building it over a longer period of time, which I probably differ, for example, from, from Sam, obviously, where I'm not really doing any active rebalancing. So, you know, for some of my, for example, like recent moves that I've made that uh, at the beginning of this year, I sold basically all of my Apple position which is a position that I've held since that was the, the first stock that I've ever bought, right? Back in 2017. And I was buying into like 2017, 2018, then basically just, you know, let it roll, let it roll. And now after those four, almost five years, I basically sold because at this point, you know, the valuation of, of all the big tech was 
I would say relatively on the on the overvalued end, right? So you know, during these four years, I enjoyed both kind of the, the appreciation appreciation of the business itself, and also the the multiple expansion, right? The kind of the big tech was relatively undervalued if you were buying it in like the 2016-18. If you, I'm I'm usually kind of following these very wider trends, right? If we are maybe looking on some of those. Uh, some of those charts following where the large caps are, where the mid caps are, where the small caps are. So they are basically, you know, moving in the market cycles a little bit differently, where, you know, for example, uh, the, the small caps, the most riskier stocks are usually the, the first one that, that gets sold out in case there is any, any kind of storm on the horizon. However, they are also the first one to bounce, bounce back, right? So they are moving slightly different than, than the than the big caps. So that's in yeah. terms of the time frame. And now also in, in the terms of uh, kind of the number of position there, I'm definitely much more on, on, on as Christian initially mentioned, you know, they have a portfolio that's relatively conservative or concentrated. Yeah. Because as I mentioned, right, you're, you're basically uh, accumulating few new positions per year. So, you know, I would probably recommend having it under 10 positions so you can go uh, as deep as you need also you know depending how much time you want to spend with it because then of, of course you know like if i had uh, some portfolio i probably get a little more you know like uh, confused in a sense that i'm not able to track those companies uh, you have to have a process of like, that i think as much as i would like to right because you know like let's say microsoft is such a huge company with so many divisions that I feel like even though it's you know like the biggest company everyone's talking about it, I still feel like I'm completely on the surface. So uh, many know, people I'm... are on the surface and they are only knowing like maybe Azure and Windows and all that stuff on the surface. Let, but let me, there's so much beyond. Let me let me ask you then. Um, and this is a concern I've had recently. The the, the rise in passive investing, the rise in indexes, the rise in just investing in Apple. You know, everyone knows Apple. Let's just invest in Apple. Everyone knows Google. Let's just invest in Google. Is there not a chance that this could be some huge kind of passive spec uh, like bubble because you have Grandpa Joe from down the road who has just been investing thousands of dollars uh, into Apple because it's the popular, well-known stock. However, when it comes to innovation, there may be a case in which Apple is not innovating at, at the rate the valuation suggests. Is that a major issue? And I think Arnie Investing spoke about this recently when it comes to um, you know, Coca-Cola, for example, or, or one of these so-called value traps. That is a big issue that I see very much overlooked. Uh, yeah, Michael, that's what I raised. Ma Michael Burry, I mean, he's, I'm, I'm very critical of him. He's uh, always raising the red flag. I think he's been correct in the past, but I mean, it's, it's fairly logical to raise the red flag every single hour of every single day. But he, he made mentions this point too. The issue of value investing is, is, is present in the S&P. Millions of people just invest into the S&P uh, monthly. Um, with no real insight into the valuation uh, or the companies within the S&P. Is that not a concern you have? Potentially some of these companies you could be in are, are value traps. Partly, but I think it's come, it, it comes down to me actually understanding the companies that are in the question. There's a reason why I don't invest in Netflix and Meta. And that's what there's a reason why I invest in Google, Microsoft and Apple because I went deeper into them. I understand why I own them to begin with. I would argue that uh, a 
at least a part of the question, and that's maybe where the public is missing a little bit with Apple, is that I, I do believe that as we move on, Apple sort of gets re-rated in a way uh, because their business is essentially switching towards services, recurring revenue, and that's a way more high, high margin you know, revenue, way more stable and recurring profits. And in that sense, it deserves a higher valuation. You can see that they now have about 900 million subscriptions and their services revenue is now growing over 20%, I think, year over year. So I think that's, that's, that's an incredible avenue. You can see that now they are going after advertising. We had this you know, rumor that they are looking into building a demand side platform for advertising too. That's going to be interesting. Certainly they are now pushing ads more aggressively into App Store and there's so much space they can still work on, I think, and monetize. I fundamentally believe that many of those tech companies have just so many spaces running, but not fully uh, utilized that they can simply just decide to like, this is going to be our next growth curve and we are going after this and they will just love the growth on that, anyways. On that point, sorry, um, can I, let me just raise a, a, an issue I have before we go to Andre. Um, my, my concern with, and I've read this about Palantir too, which are hiring aggressively uh, in the past week, 25% increase within the overall headcount. My, my concern is when you get to such a large company size, I'm very much concerned with stagnation. And within the case of uh, maybe Apple, you could argue, I'm not sure, I haven't thought this through specifically, but within the case of these larger companies, is there not a case that innovation has stagnated? And I, I personally believe, regardless of how big the company is, if they're not investing within the future, if they're not innovating at, at such a vast scale, then there's the potential for them to fail. I, I fundamentally do believe that. I don't believe any company is um, innately uh, you know, superior when it comes to just dissuading off competition. So my, my question to you, do you think innovation from Apple's point of view has slowed down? And is that something you ever are concerned about? Or do you think that innovation actually has kind of increased or something? Look, I think, like I said, I do believe that Apple has just so many ways to pull off the next phase of growth again and again. They have the pricing power so they can still pull off revenue growth. They are going to drive uh, in an insane shareholder value because they do just some massive share buybacks. And basically they told us if you really do the math that they want to do like hundreds of billions of dollars in share buybacks in the upcoming years. They basically told us because they said on the last earnings call that like, yeah, we have 60 billion in net cash. So that is net of any debt. And they want to go into uh, net, you know, neutrality. But the thing is, they bring in like somewhere in between 20 to 25 billion a quarter in operating cash flow. So, you know, you can literally go 30 billion in buybacks and dividends a quarter, and you will get to neutrality just after like eight to nine quarters. So you will get like 240 billion in share buybacks easily, just in order to get you to the neutrality. So that itself can drive you returns because obviously when you have lower share account, you drive higher EPS and therefore you can still, you know, pull off the growth for, for your investors without actually growing like 20% or so. Um, when it comes to innovation, 
I do believe it's not the most innovative company, obviously. I think uh, from the big two or big three, I think Microsoft and Google is faster because Google is still working on their AI stuff. Microsoft is also going to, uh, much more harder into data and AI and analytics and all that stuff. Um, but I still do believe that Apple is a great investment uh, because they have this brand value that is absolutely out of roof. And they can, they, they simply, they don't have to do much because uh, nobody really expects them to do disruptive things when they can literally just reiterate whatever is working for them. And they will always be able to raise the prices when they need to come up with next generation of products when there's uh, some new trend emerging. And they can like always adapt to whatever is happening, I think, at this point. Sure. That's, that's very underrated, I think, about them. Andre, do you want to say something? Yeah, exactly, because that's the that's the two different aspects, right? If the company is a great investment, it is something is a different question than if the company is you know growing and innovating, right? Because Apple is definitely on that side where yes, it's a great business. They are still improving. However, the the pace of innovation is definitely slowed, right? Which kind of ties back into your Christian your your initial point, right? That there is definitely a lot of money in the big caps overall and in the indexes right because uh, you know like uh, the indexes has been basically you know since the invention it was i think like this the 70s it was definitely you know pushed like the you know like it, it's very much you know like almost like a, a brain brainwashed our people that at this point that yeah just put the money in the index fund you get your eight percent mm -hmm sleep fine at night for most it's a great you know, solution actually but i agree with your is, concern it is, that it's not a question again, right? you know like for i'm people, like questioning some of the companies like meta and amazon right uh, fundamentally like from the basics for example with meta i was yeah, pretty vocal a, great, about how they can get screwed people that, that are lazy right or you know like yeah. want to sleep fine at night you know like hey do it that, that's perfectly fine but at the same time, I, I would argue that, you know, that almost goes like against innovation or against, you know, kind of a proper capital allocation, right? Because the, the whole purpose of, of the actual market is to provide capital for the companies that are doing a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Providing great services, creating great products that are moving the society in the right direction, the ones that should get the capital, right? You know companies like Tesla, uh, for example, right? It's like the prime example of a company that, you know, had so much issues over time, you know, getting the, basically the, the, the money inside their, their coffers, right? Almost went bankrupt many times because the, the capital was, I would, I would say misallocated, right? Because instead of giving it to a company like Tesla that had this clear vision that, okay, we are going to make electric cars that are safer for people better for the planet, more efficient, simpler in the sense of the build. And instead you, you buy the S&P and what's in the S&P, you know, like if you actually go through the list of companies in S&P, yes, there are some great names. Yes. Majority is in the big, big caps that are still great companies. But that means if you buy an index, you're also putting money in the companies that are, you know, heavily in depth or companies that are, you know, making products that are you know, I would say harmful for, for society, you know, there are some, you know, maybe companies, you know, making like, let's say tobacco products or something like that. So you're just basically, you know, sprinkling your money 
all around. And you know, lots of those companies, for example, with debt, they should have gone bankrupt long time ago. But because they are basically, you know, they were assigned into the index at some point, it's also keeping them like artificially afloat. So, I, I think I think I think this actually highlights like a very deep uh, psychological difference, not not between you, Sam, but just like in general between those who invest in indexes only and those who in the pick stocks. And, and on YouTube recently, there's been huge drama. You know, everything money in Jeremy um, have gone at it like in in depth. And yeah. um, I, I personally think like I, I personally think it's it's ridiculous to ridicule someone else's philosophy. Um, to be totally frank. Um, the drama can be fun in the moment, but at the, but at the end of the day, this brings up like a deep psychological difference. I believe, uh, for me personally, that uh, investing, in, you know, in Tesla back in the day was to handle all the issues. I don't believe for a second that that was pure luck. I don't believe for a second. I believe that the future is deterministic. You can choose where you place your capital. You can understand in detail these companies. For example, when Kathy Wood sold out of Palantir, Great example of, of, of many investors who I believe um, perhaps shouldn't be in the market. When, when Cathy Wood sold out of Palantir, many investors just sold instantaneously. She had a thesis. I believe the thesis is wrong. I still believe it's wrong. Time shall tell. However, many investors at the time just instantaneously could have sold the position because she sold. That doesn't make sense to me. And then let's say Palantir rallies to $40. I don't believe for a second that any of that was luck. I believe it was deep fundamental understanding of the company. I believe I believe investing is almost like chess, especially when you're kind of investing in my style, in which is uh, almost uh, like it's like it's very similar to, to like private investing, right? You, you have a few different picks. Some of them will fail. However, the ones that do succeed will completely outpace the rest of the portfolio. Um, I, I think that investing is almost like chess, where you can gain access to some knowledge in which individuals don't know, you can interpret the numbers in an interesting contrarian way and then therefore come to the best conclusion. That is what I love about investing. And I have a point that I wanted to mention, uh, just like to change the topic slightly. I'm concerned that, uh, and I've mentioned this to Andre in the past, and after reading Peter Till's book, my thoughts were also kind of validated, I guess you could say. But I'm concerned that in the next 20 years, there will be a lack of innovation when it comes to disruptive companies. I think there's the potential. And, and I said this about Bitcoin recently. BTC for me is kind of the culmination of just hoping that the future is going to be good. However, not actually doing anything to make the future good. Just holding a, a, a BTC for me is the culmination of like what we've seen in the past 20 years and which is major stagnation. If you, I mean, if you, if you take out, like, if you go into a room right now and, and take out all of the TVs, it will look exactly the same as it did uh, back in the 1970s. And I apologize for kind of reiterating uh, commentary from like Peter Thiel and other people, but I think it's really interesting to kind of get my point home. I'm concerned that my philosophy, on, I, and I guess it's, it's shown now, right? Because I can barely find stocks in which fit my portfolio strategy. Are you concerned? I'll start with Andre. Are you concerned about like stagnation in the future where you just have, uh, no risk taking from companies. Companies are very risk adverse. They don't want to change anything. They don't want to create anything new. Is that a concern for you? Or is that just kind of um, absurd thinking? Because I think there's a case to be made that in the past 20 years, that's already happened. Yeah, I completely agree that, uh, you know, like the past, or I would even extend the timeline, maybe like uh, to, to, to the all the way to the 70s, right? Because it also, for me, it, it comes a lot down to the to the matter of energy right kind of the you know like a production of energy because that's like super important 
for society in general, right? Because we are basically, you know, powering everything and making our physical world better. Because the innovation over the past maybe two decades, right? Basically, like a, since the dot-com bubble was mainly connected to computers, software, social yep. media, which provides lots of new things, but the physical world, as you've mentioned, right? If you would remove the screens, it would look completely the same. Uh, you know, like the, especially the, the cars look the same. Our, Planes. Our, you know, built environment is the same. Planes are the same. So that's the type of innovation I'm hoping to, to uh, hoping to to receive over the, the next decade, right? But but it's it's almost like that harder harder type of innovation because obviously any physical objects are heavily regulated in a sense. You know, like if you know how to code, you can always you know yeah. write some code, uh, create it. You know, like with, with almost nothing. Yeah. But anytime you are you are creating a physical product, there is so much obstacles, obviously, to to put the atoms together as, as they should be. Uh, and that's the that's the future we need to actually like push push towards, right? That's not this the future that will just you yeah. know, kind of uh, come out of the sky. Yeah, th this is also why I, I'm so interested in like investing because for me it's a very kind of philosophical thing in which I'm very optimistic for the future. But to do so, you have to build, you have to invest, you have to be part of the future. You can't just sit back and hope it won't happen. And I feel that that's uh, something many people need to hear because. I mean, often you can just hope that the future is going to be good, but nothing was actually is going to change. I mean, I'm in Italy right now, specifically the South. I've, I've been here for years and years and nothing has changed. The same buildings are up that are half built. It's a very kind of derelict place. It's by, by no means I'm extremely modern. Only, you know, if you go to Milan or, or up north, that's when the, you can kind of see infrastructure, uh, investments, building, etc. Um, but for me, investing is just very philosophical in terms of the optimism for the future. I believe also on this point, and I'm going to go to Sam after after this, but um, I believe that if the innovation does occur, there's going to be an increase in winner-takes-all markets. And when you look at Tesla, for example, with their full self-driving, it just seems implausible for me to assume that with Tesla and their network effects, in which are so strong, with Tesla and you know millions of, of vehicles in which are feeding back to the ecosystem of FFT, that is only going to exponentially grow. And we, we as humans can't really comprehend, in my opinion, uh, the idea of exponential growth. We're very used to kind of linear growth over time. Is there a case to be made, Sam, that in the, in the next five years or so, we're going to see more monopolies, more winner-takes-all markets, for example, than the case of Tesla and the FSD? I do think so. I think there's this decade is going to be explosive for innovation because there's so much uh, converging and exploding yeah. altogether. Uh, you see what 5G can unlock. You, you can have a doctor at the other side of the world, you know, operating the, the patient at the same time. Uh, you can see that we will have a low latency, you know, networks, which will allow us, for example, to, I mean, stream games, for example, in real time without actually having to own the hardware. And the, the amount of use cases really just from that innovation are, are, are just explosive, I think. That and does. we don't even understand the full scale yet because it's that. going to be realized over time. Um, for me, I mean, I think when you do investments, you have to understand what's the, uh, what's the goal of that particular investment. I believe 
for you, it's from what I'm observing and, and and hearing from you, I do believe that you are very much interested in, in companies that are sort of thick. They are you know tougher to understand, but you're interested in all the inter, inner workings inside. Uh, I do believe there's many companies that are, I do believe, very essential, innovative, but they are pretty simple. Sure. For example, you have Adyen, if you know them. They are basically a payment processor and they have point of solution, point of sale solution and all that stuff. Uh, they do they do a great service. They are growing very fast. It's a very high margin business, but it's fairly simple to understand. So there's not much you can dig into, really. You have to understand just the basics of the business and then maybe keep up with the with the strategies they have, like maybe, you know, omni-channel strategy and all that stuff. But there's not really much to dig into deep. Whereas, for example, with Palantir and Tesla, there's just so much nuance and and so much, you know, working circles, you know, moving all together at once. So it's very sort of interesting and maybe like mystical observing all that is going on. Whereas with Adyen, like you, you only keep up with their strategy, maybe watch a, an annual, you know, investor day once and then keep up with some of the IRL releases on the on the on the press release you know site and that's pretty much it but regardless it's a in a, in a broader context it's a pretty innovative company because payment processing you know digital payments on the, and all that stuff is pretty essential and I I'm personally invested in the company I do like the management they are pretty conservative because they are a European company so I mean, even with stock-based compensation, right? They have pristine financials, no debt, high growth, high margins, profitable. They are always trading at premiums because it's like a, you get a pretty much a 60 to 70% growth and 60% EBITDA margin. Sure. I, th I think so, that's really interesting, the point you made on, on innovation converging. And that ties into my philosophy again um, with like monopolistic markets becoming far more common and winner-takes-all markets becoming very, very common. Because, I mean, when you look at the case of Tesla and the FSD, let's let's forget kind of the outstanding debates. Let's say, hypothetically, they get there within the next five years. Yep. The, the areas that lead to is almost incomprehensible. The fact that you can have uh, full self-driving uh, robo-taxi fleets, how that affects GDP, how that translates, the ripple effects translates over to other areas and domains. For me, that is something that I want to be a part of. For me, that is something that I believe is, is going to happen too. Um, I'm probably, uh, I would describe myself as a big optimist. So it's maybe uh, naive optimism there, you could argue uh, successfully. Um, but the ripple effects when it comes to innovation converging and interlinking with other domains um, in, in the world is, is, is very interesting to me. And also on that point, I think that some people can view my investing approach as very kind of philosophical. But the bottom line remains for me that there actually is some some truth in this. Uh, there's a, an amazing kind of piece of uh, literature on, uh, on 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 Moore's law, Wright's law too, and basic, basically suggests uh, Wright's law specifically that there's a 20% reduction in cost as, as as cumulative output output increases um, or doubles, as I should say. Um, so that is like some some actual factual basis, and this is not only applicable to tangible goods. This is applicable to um, to, to software, MIT have shown that it happened within the Human Genome Project. The Human Genome Project yeah. was basically an attempt to map all the genomes within the body or something of that matter. And they saw a 700% fold 
decrease within the cost associated with sequencing a genome. That is incredible for me. And that leads to a flywheel of innovation. So whilst, yes, I understand that many people believe in the comments that um, my approach is fairly philosophical, uh, I would say and argue that it's also um, rooted in, in fact and um, some observations that I'm seeing and reading about Odin society. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Audrey, I'm any sort comments? of combining, yeah, I'm sort of sure. combining the philosophy, but also I do try to stay grounded and look at numbers. Sure. Yeah. That's what is in the end of the day important. There were so many yeah. companies that had a perfect philosophy, but ended up being, a, you know, nothing at the end. So you have to, you know, I think combine both. You, you can't really just stay in the sky and, you know, dream too much. I agree. But at yeah. the same that time, you have to stay grounded and really is, watch for the execution of that idea. That, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Numbers are really important. Uh, you can't look at numbers in a vacuum, but you also can't look at the, the philosophy in a vacuum. You have to combine them both and, and monitor them carefully. Yeah. Andre, any comments from you? Yeah, I think it was a uh, you know, good point that you raised with uh, like the combination of philosophy and innovation, because the thing in innovation is that it's not as visible, right? before it, it's the, the mass adoption. So the innovative companies to invest in are always harder to spot because of course the, the kind of the traditional companies, the big tech, or if you're investing in something like retailers or something of that kind, you always have it in front of you, right? It's on your mind and it's easier to also extrapolate the, the outcome that they might have. But with innovation, you need to do that type of research that you are looking for the innovation and trying to you know kind of raise it from the ground see those little seeds that are planted at this point, but you have to uncover the, the ground to actually understand what type of seed it is. And that's what makes it a little bit harder, but with a bigger potential upside. That's what I would probably close with. I, I agree completely. Right. I, I have 6% left on the, on the computer. Sam, give us your one minute roundup of how you got invested. How did you start investing? What, what, um, what, what attracted you to investing in, in one minute? Investing was for me like I thankfully got into investing thanks to my dad because uh, he discovered capital markets just a bit before me. So we kind of flew through this flew this journey together. Uh, although he's more like interested or or focused on technicals, I do fundamentals. So we kind of help each other. Um, so yeah, for me it's it's uh, about being a part of the future that I want to see. Uh, I'm I'm very much skewing towards data place because I do believe that data gives me the, or data plays give me like top uh, best of breed data plays give me a great exposure to all sorts of industries. When you see like where Palantir, uh, Snowflake, MongoDB, and you look at their use cases and uh, customer cases, you really see they are deployed across retailers. Uh, you know. VR and uh, health, you know, space and and all sorts of uh, industries. So it's very diversified for me, actually. Sure. Uh, yeah, and and for me, I do want to take advantage of what's about to happen. So yeah. for me, that's like uh, it, it, investing into individual companies also helps me to understand what's happening and what's coming before uh, it's very much established and known to mainstream. Sure. Let I, me just. I'm uh, really interested in that. Sure, Andre. One minute roundup before my battery runs out. Yeah, I'll keep it super simple, right? Because uh, my main goal is to 
get the money into the hands of the right people, right? There are so many great companies in the world that are making great products, helping people, improving our society. And I just want them to, to survive at the, the base level and eventually thrive, right? Because that that all makes us a little bit happier in the end and, you know, pushes to, toward that uh, positive future. So that's my main motivation for investing. How about you, Christian? Yeah, in the last minute before my battery uh, runs out. But uh, for me, it's very philosophical of the future that I want to see. I would say I'm a pretty unique person. Um, I, I have like a weird kind of philosophical view on money. I want to support a noble goal. I can't really, um, you know, I can't, I, I have this weird issue where I can't pursue money just for the sake of money. There has to be something noble behind it. There has to be something that's contributing to a greater good. Um, for example, I can't, I can't do myself to just, you know, resell shoes off the internet. That's not me. I have to be investing within companies that I want to see prevail. I have to be investing within the future that I want to see. Uh, so for me, it's a very philosophical thing. And it's also about being so a So if it's something that brings it's, value, right? It's, it's also about being a contrarian and being uh, right as well. But yeah, um, yeah, to your point, um, yeah, something that brings value to the world is, is what I'm all about uh, instead of just money for money's sake. But on that note, we better wrap up. Uh, thank you so much, guys. And apologies Thank for the quick so cut off, uh, but the battery is is looking yeah. low. But I thought this was interesting. It was cool to hear your your views, uh, and I'll leave it there. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I mean, the conversation. We will leave link link all our socials below. So follow us for more information about innovation companies, how to invest, and let's see you next week. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, guys.